Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast, where we take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best marathoners as they prepare for the Olympic Trials on February 29th in Atlanta, right around the corner. Man, it is coming fast, and I am so excited in this episode to talk to Katrina Spratford. Katrina is someone who I've gotten to know personally here in Rhode Island as she has worked with the New England Distance Project. She recently moved out to Arizona But getting to know her personally was great because I got to see firsthand all the things that she had been struggling with just health-wise, getting ready all all throughout the year for this race. She was right on the brink of not even running. And once you know it, she got her OTQ in her first marathon. And it was an incredible story, not just the race itself, but all of the things that went into it. She is coached by Kurt, Molly Huddle's husband, and they have formed a great relationship. And it's just so nice to see people struggling, 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 putting in the effort, and then finally reaching that goal that they've spent so much time trying to accomplish. And that's exactly what Katrina has done. So kudos to her. And here is my conversation with Katrina Spratford. Hello, Katrina, and welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you very much. So I can't wait to talk to you about CIM, your debut marathon, cranking out an OTQ. You're part of that that group of women. I think it's 29 women, 29 American women in total who finished in that last minute before the OTQ cutoff. The, the pictures and images and videos were amazing. But there's a more important thing we need to discuss. As a proud Rhode Islander, <laughs> that I am. I need to talk to you about why you just moved away within a week of this <laughs> podcast. It's like I asked you to be on the podcast and the first thing you did was move away. You moved to the other side of the country to Flagstaff. Katrina, what did I do to you to spur <laughs> you across the country at the mere mention of coming on this show? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I had been uh, planning on moving out to Arizona for a while. Um, so it just, you know, it was one of those things where I was like, I need to check off the marathon and then I can move across the country. <laughs> not not the reverse way. <laughs> <laughs> I swear 99% of my podcasts have been on the phone, except for the rare occasions where I've been able to do a live show. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to get Katrina on. It'll be the rare occasion where I can interview somebody <laughs> in person. so funny. I ask you, you're like, I'm down. I'm down. But it has to be in three days when I move to Arizona. And I'm like, oh, no, of course. I was I was packing up my apartment when you uh, asked. (laughs) So I was like, ah, it's not going to (laughs) work. All right. So before we get into CIM, what what, what prompted the move? Obviously, Flagstaff is is just one of the national hubs of running, specifically trail running and, and marathoning. But what brought you out there? Yeah, so actually, I'm based in Phoenix with the idea of going up to Flagstaff for some altitude stints. Um, but what prompted it really was a couple of things. I, I moved to Rhode Island um, right after college in 2013 to join New England Distance. So I've been running with them since. And, um, you know, I was just really ready for a change. Uh, New England is a bit challenging in the winter time to train. So um, my, my coach is Kurt Benninger, who is Molly Huddle's husband, and they come out here pretty much year round at this point to train at either Phoenix or at altitude. So, you know, every winter me and my teammates would come out here to train for a couple months to get out of the New England weather and the ice and the snow and all that. So it was a place that I really, I love coming to. I love training at and, you know, with my coach being here a majority of the year, it just made a lot of sense to kind of be based out here because I want to continue working with him. And New England Distance is one of those great, you know, great groups that have really sprung up in the last 10 years or so, which isn't kind of like that high level group, like the NAS Elite or something like that, or, you know, but kind of like that next tier down, so to speak, um, which kind of gives people like a really nice, you know, way to continue their running in kind of a unique way because it's not as if like that group, while certainly very accomplished and are doing great things, and shoot, Obi just kicked butt at, at CIM and ran two thirty, and she was part of that group as well. Um, so you, y'all are doing great things, but it's kind of this this interesting middle ground. Um, so what what was that like being in that kind of group 
and what did it entail for you, not only from a running perspective, but other things that you had to do to make you know, your running life doable for a, a sustained period of time? Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm I'm so thankful for the opportunity to have been able to join New England Distance when I was coming out of college. Um, you know, I was applying to running groups and to grad schools, and I knew deep down I really wanted to keep running. So um, I was really thankful to hear back from Nick Haber with New England Distance that they wanted me to join. And at that time, the team had only been around for a year. So there were two athletes on the team, David Goodman and Megan Hobson. (laughs) So it was a very small crew. And the idea behind New England Distance is it's a community-based program. So they support elite post-collegiate runners um, looking to continue on. And in return, we work in the community. So we all um, coach at um, local middle schools, uh, the cross country and track and field program. So we were those head coaches. And so I was really proud of that. You know, I got to restart the Woonsocket middle school program from scratch, you know, their budget had been cut, uh, I think six years prior. So they had no, uh, middle school athletic programs at all at that school. And me, you know, I started running when I was in middle school. So it was really important to me to have these kids, you know, have an opportunity to learn what running's all about and learn and grow um, as athlete and as students. So um, that is something really special and unique about our group. Um, and it allows us to give back to the community that we are training in. So with that, you know, um, I also had to work another job. So I've always worked kind of like other side jobs to make this dream of mine happen. <laughs> so I've been working at the local running shop in Providence called Roadrunner, which is actually where I met you in person this summer. Um, so I've been working there for about six years, and it's such a great environment. Pat Moulton, who is the um, the manager there, is just super supportive of our training and our racing and allowing me to go out to altitude or out to Phoenix, um, over the winter months. So, um, we definitely had a really nice support crew there to help us, you know, hopefully reach a new level with our running. It is so nice to see the community involvement with New England distance. Um, again, as a Rhode Islander, I can speak to that because, you know, Woonsocket is one of those towns, which is kind of like a, it's kind of a city, kind of a town. Um, it's very urban, but it's not huge. So it's kind of, this why it's kind of in that middle ground. And, you know, they've always struggled with, just, you know, is funding their basic services and things like that. So it's understandable, like, why cross-country was cut, especially at the middle school level. Um, but it's so great that you guys were able to pick it up. And and with that sort of arrangement where you kind of have a part-time job and you're part of this group, do you end up receiving, like, funds or grant money from New England Distance? Or what, what are they able to provide athletes like you that kind of allows you to kind of stay within that group setting you know, for a sustained period of time? Yeah. So New England Distance provides housing for the athletes. So that is a huge uh, component of the group. Um, and that's super helpful that you don't have to worry about paying a rent every every month. So that was really helpful. We would get a little bit of a travel budget. We had access to performance physical therapy and Lanny chiropractic. So we had a really good um you know, set of resources to help us be successful as athletes. And then the group was a nonprofit group. So we depended on like individual donations and um, grants like USATF New England grants and all that to help us fund our programming and fund, you know, the the athletes um, training and racing and traveling and all that. So it was really great. And then on top of that, we have one of the best coaches. Kurt Benninger is just a really incredible coach. Um, and he is so gracious to give us his time and work with us for however many years. It's been six years now. Um, so, again, we just have a really nice support crew. So does he coach all the athletes? He does. Yep. Got it. All right. Because I know that um, – and this is a little inside baseball here. So please pardon me, dear listener. But I know like Ann Ann and Bob Rothenberg helped create that group. And I have a special relationship with them because they coached me for a number of years post-college. So I just wasn't sure how the whole whole coaching atmosphere worked. Yeah. So Bob and Ann were definitely involved. I I believe Bob was actually the coach when the group first formed. So he was David Goodman and Megan Hobson's coaches uh, when when the group first started. And then when I joined, um, I guess Kurt had thought about coaching. And I think um, Molly Huddle had a relationship with Bob and Nick. So um, she mentioned that Kurt wanted to get into coaching. So they gave me the option of 
Bob or Kurt and I went with Kurt. Um, and so that's kind of how that started is, um, Bob has definitely been a mentor for Kurt, for Kurt. And he is, um, basically when Kurt and Molly travel out to Arizona, Bob is running the show in terms of facilitating the workouts, you know, timing us being the coach on, on site while Kurt is away. So they have a really great relationship and I feel like it works really well with the athletes too. All right. So. This year has been a very interesting year for you, for you because yes. again, you, I mean, you've, you've, I mean, even before this past year, you, you've had, you know, you've done very well at, at many different distances, you know, a mile PR of, of 454 coming into 2019, you know, you'd run right on the cusp of 16 flat coming into the year in the, in the 5k, you know, you then, you know, you, this past year you win pen relays, but you've also dealt with injuries. You had a lot, you know, as, as well as you run on the track, it seems like your bread and butter has been, you know, in cross country, which is such a unique spot for post-college runners to, to excel in. So I guess first things first, when you were entering 2019, what were some of the goals that you had laid out for yourself? Yeah. Um, you know, coming into 2019, I was having a really great stretch of training, a really good stretch of racing. Um, I would say the beginning of the year was actually probably one of my best years of racing and training. Um, you know, I'd run uh, world cross was the goal <laughs> going into this year. So I, yeah, I've put all of my focus and all of my energy into making that world cross team. Um, I love cross country. It's my heart and soul. It's, it's just my favorite season. Um, so that was a huge goal of mine. And I knew it was going to be tough because all the Bowerman women had entered and Molly was racing. It was just a super, super competitive race up front. So I knew it was going to be, you know, I had to show up with everything I had on that day. Um, and I ended up placing 14th, came just, just a little bit short of that goal, but I was really proud of that race in general because it was just such a competitive race. Um, so it was a little, a little short of that goal. And then we kind of switched gears and got ready for the track season. And like you said, it won pen relays, which was a huge bucket list for me. You know, I have been competing at <clears throat> pen relays since I was in high school. So I always wanted, you know, to get a gold watch and all <laughs> and that. So that was a really special day for me. Well, let's came, talk came about that close. day. <laughs> let's talk about that day because so when you were picturing, you know, this is a long a goal for you, as you mentioned, like you've 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 counted this down, you've wanted to do this. When you pictured yourself winning at Penn, how did you picture that? Because I can see some people looking at how you actually did it as like the ideal way to win a race. So how did you picture it in your mind ahead of time? Oh, yeah. You know, I went into that race being like, I, I'm i just going to do everything I can to win because this is a really great opportunity. I was feeling really fit and really strong. And you know, I wanted to let the race play out a little bit, but then try and just take control, you know, maybe two miles in or something like that and just close really hard. And I ended up falling off just a little bit in that like middle part of the race where it gets really tough and was able to rebound a little bit. And it came down to the last, I don't even know, 100 meters or so <laughs> to win. So I really had to kick it into gear. And um, it was just a really, really cool day and a cool way to finish the race. I was just really proud of that, uh, that effort for sure. Yeah. It seemed like with like, I think it was a 200, 150 meters to go. You made this huge move and it's funny watching it like on, it's funny watching it on TV because the, the camera is set up on the wrong side of the track. Yes. <laughs> so I'm watching it and I, and I keep thinking like, oh man, she has 200 meters left to go, but I don't know if she has 200 meters left in her. And all of a sudden you, like, you <laughs> lean to the tape and I was like, oh, Race is over. Oh, okay. yeah. sounds good. Yeah. But you, but you really made a hard move there, and it must have been so exciting. Like when you had that moment, was that was that? I know. Shoot, you're an eight time eight time college all American. You've had a lot of high level results. When that had happened, was that the the the, the biggest win of your life? Oh yeah, I would say that was probably one of the biggest wins. Um trying to think yeah it was just really really awesome um yeah I'm trying to think other than some cross-country races like that that definitely takes the cake I would say because it was just such a special moment it's the pen relays you know it's just a huge huge race um so it was, it was very cool and I, I usually 
I know I can trust in my kick, so I wasn't too worried about it, but had to get moving those last 200 meters for sure. (laughs) So you've had a number of injuries over the past several years, and then this year as well, especially in the spring and summer heading into the fall. So what were some of the things that have really bogged you down? Yeah, so... I, you know, five out of the six spring seasons, I've had injury. Um, I don't know if it has to do with the track season, the intensity, the surface. I'm not really sure, but my body always seems to break down pretty quickly in the spring. Um, And, you know, my first year out, I got a sacral stress fracture. Um, It's been a lot of like a sprained SI joint, um, a sprained midfoot. It's just been a lot of random things that have taken me out for quite some time. Um, and this injury in particular was really frustrating because we just couldn't figure it out. I was having a lot of nerve issues where I couldn't feel my leg. Basically, I had like uh, it felt like I had uh, muscle stim on my leg constantly. So from the knee down all the way into my foot, it was just tingling all the time. It got worse when I would start to run, um, and it was just something that I really we really couldn't figure out. Um, so hold that- on a second, I know what this is. I have yeah. watched late night television. This is restless leg syndrome. I've seen oh, it on QVC. No. <laughs> restless legs. Darn it. Why didn't I talk to you sooner? <laughs> oh, man. See, that's it. Late night QVC has has the answer for this problem. <laughs> so, yeah, it was ended up being two months of no running. So it really it ended my spring season pretty abruptly. I had just come off of Penn Relays. I ran the Westfield 5K, which is a road race in Massachusetts, and broke 16 for the first time. And literally that day, my leg um, just became a big issue. So yeah, it was it was a long two months where I was really struggling. We couldn't figure it out. And during that time, I actually, for the first time in my life, thought about quitting the sport. And that really rattled me because I've been through many injuries throughout my whole career. And for some reason, this one just hit hard. And um, yeah, it really, it put a lot of in perspective for me. And so I started to think, well, if this truly is the end of my career, if, if I only had a year left or something like that, you know, what would I want out of it? What would I be really proud of? And it was qualifying for the Olympic trials and making that world cross team in 2021. So that's kind of where this whole marathon idea began, was in the midst of an injury, (laughs) which seemed a little um, nutty at the time, I suppose, because I couldn't run at all. But it was something that I felt like I needed to go after. And, you know, I began running when I was 10 in middle school, or I guess elementary school at that time. And that is the first time that I began dreaming of qualifying for the Olympic trials. Like I went home after practice one day and said, Mom, I'm going to run in the Olympic trials. And I had no idea what that meant or how long it would take me to get there. And so for me to think about quitting in 2019 before 2020, it was just it, it kind of blew my mind a little bit. Um, so I really this was something that I really just wanted to go after and give everything I had to, you know, making making it possible. So your your boyfriend Henry Sterling is an active, you know, is a very good runner. You have a lot of friends who are very good runners. You have coaches. You have uh, you, know, you know, PTs and physios and all this stuff. When you you're going through this and you're having these multitude of injuries year after year, and then you say, you know what, I'm just gonna amp it up and go for the marathon. What were what were some of the responses you got from the people? who not only know running very well, but also know you very well and, and care for you. Yeah. So I think the first person I called was Kurt, my coach. And I was like, Kurt, <laughs> you know, I basically said the same thing. Like, if this is the end for me, I really, really want to take a crack at making the Olympic trials. So that means either in the marathon or on the track. And my history with the track has been plagued with injuries. So I didn't want to put all my eggs in that basket. So I was like, we have to go for the marathon because I want to know at the end of the day that I gave everything I can to this opportunity. So whether that's making the marathon or not, or going for the track, you know, at least I can, if I don't do it in the marathon, then I still had track as a backup. So, and he was all about it. He was super supportive. Um, you know, he he thought it was a possibility, and as long as I could get healthy and get the training in, then I could run under two forty five. And Henry on the same page, you know, 
for something clicked with him too. And he really wanted to run the marathon. I think he actually brought it up before I did that. He really wanted to try the marathon out this year. He had moved up in distance, you know, typically he'd been running the steeplechase. So he did the 10 K this year and it went really well. So he wanted to try it out. And then we got our other teammate, Aaron Dinzio, who's a very successful runner as well on the marathon train. So the three of us were roommates at the time. We, um, we decided we were all going to Talk about this. a third wheel. Poor Aaron. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm the third wheel to Aaron and Henry. <laughs> oh, funny. And my parents, too. You know, I called my parents and let them know. And they were, you know, yeah, they were really excited. They've been so supportive of my running for my whole life. So they were really excited that I was going to try something new. All right, so let's talk about the logistics of making this happen. Okay, so you spent, so you so you were doing you know shorter stuff, right? You were doing um, cross country in five Ks. Obviously, you were, you know, with a runner of your ability, I'm sure you were running serious miles. It wasn't like you're running 25 miles a week for this sort of thing. But you know, you're you're taking this huge step up, but you're coming off of two months of not running at all and dealing with injuries year after year. So how did you and Kurt come up with a plan that not only, you know, would would make you, you know, fit enough to reach your goal, but healthy enough to actually execute the plan? Right. Yeah. So for me <laughs> to, to grasp this whole concept of running the marathon, we had to definitely break it down into little bits. So the first things first was like, get healthy. You know, I, I ended up driving home to see my hometown physical therapist. Her name is Carol Cote, and she's incredible. She actually got me back running within an hour <laughs> of seeing her. So I was off for two months. I saw her. I was able to start running again. So we were, you know, from that point on, it was just about building up the mileage slowly, staying healthy, piecing it all together. Um, and honestly, I really struggled for a couple months there. M the majority of my runs were pretty bad. Um, I was in pain, struggling with IT band stuff and quad stuff. So it wasn't a pretty couple of months of just rebuilding mileage. Um, and then actually about six weeks out from CIM, I hadn't even really started a buildup yet because I wasn't able to piece together much. You know, I would get in some workouts, some would go well, some would go pretty bad. So it was one of those, I had to make a decision. Um, you know, it was a critical point. We were six weeks out. And if I was going to make this happen, you know, I actually decided to quit my job and move home to New Jersey um, to see my PT on a consistent basis and to train on soft ground and just kind of like get myself back in the game a little bit. Um, so from that point on, Kurt and I, basically, it was pretty simple. Just build up the mileage in the long run and try and get in a long tempo each week because my body was not responding very well to shorter, faster workouts. So I could do tempo work. I could do marathon pace work, but that was about it. So the plan was just arrive to the start line as healthy as possible. And I felt like that was the best opportunity for me was to move home and just really, really focus on training and staying healthy in those five or so weeks before the race. So what kind of mileage were you doing prior to that six week crash course? Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I would say floating between 60 to 70. If I could get to 70, that was a good week. Um, but I would say for the most part, it's probably around the sixties. Um, I was really just trying to like struggle through some of the runs. Um, but once I got home and was able to see my PT consistently, I was running, I had about five weeks of 90 miles or just around 90 miles, which is the most I've ever done in my life. So I couldn't believe that I was able to do that, um, and, and feel pretty healthy doing it. And what about, what was your PT doing that again, I, I know the people you were working with here in Providence, they work with some of the best runners in the country. These are not people who are, you know, unaware of what's going on in the running world. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to detail who they work with because there's, you know, client confidentiality there. But, you know, these, these are, they work with elite, elite, elite runners. Let's just put it that way. So with that said, what, what were you able to do with your, your home PT that was different than what you were getting in Providence? 
Yeah. So um, my my support crew in Providence is Dr. Dennis Lanny and um, Nick Bruno. They're amazing, incredible people. They've helped me so much. Um, and you know, I ended up going home because my PT is a soft tissue specialist. So she's really, really good with myofascial pain and soft tissue work. She works with runners as well. Um, and she was just able to pinpoint exactly what was going on. And she is just very, very experienced. She's been in practicing for 40 some years and she's, she's just really incredible. So she, I think it was just having a different set of eyes on the injury was really helpful. Um, Dr. Lanny and Nick did so much that they could, you know, as much as they could to help me, um, and I'm really thankful for that. Um, but I think, I think for me, it was more, you know, I needed to get on some soft surface. I have a, an amazing trail back home that goes for miles and miles. It's just crushed stone. So running on soft surface plus getting the treatment was really um, key for me. All right. Let's talk about what was going on with you mentally and emotionally. Because obviously going to any starting line for any runner you need to have a certain amount of confidence if you're trying to track down a goal, any goal. So with with this particular goal in mind, this isn't just like, hey, I want to run a PR. There's a, there's a threshold that's just out there that you can't rationalize away. It's like, all right, I'm either under 245 or I'm over it. So let's talk to me about how you got to where you needed to be mentally when you were nowhere near where you need to be <laughs> physically six weeks out. Right. Yeah, it was quite a process. You know, when I when I moved home, I really tried to dedicate myself to getting my mental state into a more positive place. I was full of a lot of like negativity and doubt. And I just really was like, I just don't see how this is going to be possible. Um, so I, I listened to a couple podcasts that were really great. And one was called I'm Enough by Marissa Peer. And she talked about your self-worth and, you know, the belief of transforming your life um, through, I'm sorry, transforming your life with the power of belief. So, you know, having confidence in yourself, having a purpose, you know, believing that you are enough, that you have everything you need within you to be successful. And that really shifted my perspective. You know, I talked a lot with uh, one of my really good buddies, Matt Lano, who's a successful runner. He had just run 211 in Berlin. And, and honestly, he's been he on this show as, before. Yes, yes. I love that <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, he, I talked to him probably daily <laughs> and he was so helpful. You know, I was really inspired by his whole story and being injured and then running 211 at Berlin. And it was just a huge breakthrough for him. So he was someone who I really, really cherish and um, respect and look up to. And I, I was really, really great uh, talking with him consistently because he has so much experience in the marathon. So the whole thing was it was uncharted territory, but I did believe it was possible. Um, and I, I ended up sending Kurt an email about three weeks out from the race. Like, should we have a backup plan? <laughs> because I'm not sure if this is going to come together or not. And, you know, we ended up saying, you know, I, I didn't want to bow out of this race just because training wasn't going the way I wanted it to go. You know, I was training by trusting Kurt and his his thoughts and on my training and what he thought I was capable of and just trying to have a little bit of faith that my ability could get me there and that the years and years of training were still in my body, even though I was still struggling a little bit. And week by week, things really pieced together. I was rounding into shape, getting more confident. My leg was doing well. So I started to feel like, hey, things are actually going a little bit better. And I think you know, at the end of the day, I wanted to show up on the starting line with an attitude of gratitude and just be thankful for my body and thankful for this opportunity to try something completely new. And no matter what, whether I ran just over 245 or under, I was going to be excited about the future and thankful for the opportunity to even try and run this, uh, run the marathon. All right, let's talk about that email, because I find that to be very interesting. You know, three weeks out, and not only that you're communicating this question, but how you communicated it. First of all, I'm sure you and Kurt have had this great relationship where you communicate all the time. So tell me about how you are feeling because, you know, deciding to write an email as opposed to say like having a phone call, it seems like this, it, it seems like a way of expressing, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I want to hear more about this because it seems like a very a way of expressing doubt 
in a way that you're not asking for some sort of immediate reassurance. Like it seems like you're asking for a very thoughtful, measured response, which also leads me to believe that you were almost hoping for maybe a new plan. Like, tell me about that 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 communication, the the motivation behind it, and 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 what came of it. Yeah. So that email was because I I had just run. Um, I was supposed to do a progression long run, and it ended up with me finishing in tears. <laughs> I had a, like a little breakdown mid run. And I thought, well, my leg hurt so much. I didn't know how this was going to piece together. I didn't, I couldn't comprehend how the training I was doing was going to get me to finish a marathon because my body was just not holding up. So I was like, oh my gosh, I think we need extra time. We only have a couple weeks and I don't feel anywhere close to being ready. <laughs> so I sent Kurt the email with a little bit of thought through it. I didn't want to send him a really long text. So I was like, let's go to email. <laughs> so I sent him and I just let him know what happened and how I was just feeling, you know, really stressed out. I was having some doubts. Um, training wasn't clicking like I wanted it to. And Kurt is a man of little words, but when he speaks, it's really important. So I have value, you know, I, I find value in what he says. And he said, his response was, is this something you want to do? Do you want to train for the marathon? Do you want to race the marathon? If someone, if you feel pressure from someone else, then it's not okay. But think about it and let me know. And my response was, yes, I, I want to do this for myself. And that's when I said, you know, whether just because training's not going the way I want it to go doesn't mean that it's not possible. So I believe that things are, are possible even when it doesn't go to plan. So I, I just wanted to again, get to that starting line. Um, but I also thought about having a little bit of a backup plan just in case things weren't clicking. And that's when I said, you know, if, if we have to bow out at the last minute because it's not going right and my body's not coming around, then maybe Houston would be a good backup plan or like a Phoenix half or something else. Um, that's maybe in January. So that was kind of the reasoning behind that email. It's just like really struggling. I had a really bad day and I just felt like, uh, this this may not come together. <laughs> All right. So let's fast forward three weeks. It's the day before CIM, right? You're in downtown Sacramento. You're probably doing some sort of shakeout run. How are you feeling going into the race? Yeah, I felt great. I was so excited. You know, all the pre-race nerves were there for sure. The little taper uh, nerves are real. <laughs> I was, um, you know, I was nervous, but really mostly excited. And I got to do my pre-meet run with Neely, who was my college teammate, Neely Spence Gracie. Um, she was in town to do the relay. So we got to run together, which was so special because we hadn't run together in a couple of years. So it was great just chatting and catching up. And um, she's someone I really look up to as well and confided in quite a bit during this buildup. Um, so it, it was just really great. We were all really excited. Um, and there was, you know, it's just such a great environment, lots of people, lots going on. So it, it was just a really fun, positive place to be. And I, you know, I knew that I had done every single thing in my power to show up on the day to give myself the best opportunity, you know? So I knew that there was nothing else I could have done to prepare for this day. So now it was just time to go enjoy it and have fun and, and see what I could do. Um, Molly Huddle actually, she has, writes a couple articles for Runner's World. And one of them, she had a quote that said, you know, change the fear of racing into curiosity. And that's kind of what my approach was on that day. It's like, can I do this? Let's see what I can do. Um, can my body hold up? Am I able to run under 245? You know, and just see what happens. So between the range of hopeful and confident, where did you fall? Ooh, <laughs> I would say uh, I like to go into races more confident because you know, that means that I've put in the work and that I believe in my training and believe in my ability. So I would say I was feeling a little bit more confident. Um, yeah, because, you know, those past five weeks had ended up by the end going pretty well. So I felt more confident over the last, I would say, actually, like 10 days of that that cycle was what kind of turned it around for me. All right. So CIM is known both on the men's side and the women's side, you know, for, for really catering to folks who are trying to get that Olympic trials qualifier. Specifically on the women's side, they have a set of really high-quality pacers. 
that can help help women, you know, really kind of kind of, you know, just kind of delegate that part of the job. Right. Like you handle the pace. If you run even, we'll be able to do this. And, you know, they just do such a good job of this. We've talked about that exact thing on this podcast many times. So we don't have to get into that specifically. But what was the decision like for you um, about strategy? Were you thinking like, I'm just going to go with the pace groups or were you thinking more of I need to run my own race? What what were you thinking about going into, uh, you know, kind of going into the starting line? Yeah, it was a little bit of both of those things. Um, I had talked with Kurt on the phone after the technical meeting and, you know, learning that there was close to 100 women who were going to be in that pace group, um, which was inspiring and also a little nerve wracking. So I was like, oh, my gosh, how do we navigate that? (laughs) That's so many people trying to get their bottles and water and all that. So we decided that I would just trust my instincts and trust my body and if that means I end up in that pace group, great. If it means I end up a little bit ahead of the pace group, great. Um, and to not freak out either way, kind of, you know, see what happens once the gun goes off and settle into what I believe is the right rhythm for myself. So I was trying to not get too bogged down with, oh, I have to hop in the group or I have to be there. You know, if, if I was a little bit ahead, then that was okay. And that's actually what ended up happening. I thought that maybe I would just end up falling into the pace group, but um, I ended up being a little bit in front of it. And honestly, I think that was perfectly fine. I ended up meeting this one woman named Angela, and we ran together from mile one to 22. And that was really special because we were, yeah, yeah, it was awesome. We worked together the whole time. I had never met her in my life. We just introduced ourselves (laughs) right when we met up and we're like, all right, let's do this. So it was really, really awesome. That's something, you know, my favorite part of CIM was the camaraderie out on the course. It was just so special to work with these women who are chasing the same goal, who have different stories, you know, we're all lining up chasing this one same goal. And it was so fun to work together um, and watch them have success on the day too. It's so funny that the person you ran with for the the vast majority of the race is someone that you didn't know because you must have known dozens of women at that race. Yeah. I know. Yeah, we had never met. Um, and we just linked up and we worked so well together. You know, it's just one of those people was like, yep, you're going to be my buddy. And so um, it was great working together with her. And we kept each other calm. You know, she had run a couple of marathons before. So it was I really, you know, appreciated her um, sense of pace and, you know, her being patient early on in the race and not getting too excited. So um, that was kind of my goal the whole time was just stay patient through 22, at least like I just didn't want to do anything to jeopardize making, you know, the cut of 245. So your pacing, looking at like the 5k splits, you know, was right on the money. Obviously, like mile to mile can be different because you can go uphill or downhill and things like that. But from the 5k split perspective, you were right between 612 and 614. The entire way, which is, you know, kudos to you and Angela and, and all other folks who are here kind of in and around you. So what was it like for you in terms of, you know, when did, again, I can't emphasize this enough. This is your marathon debut and you did not have an ideal buildup by any means. No, not so, at all. Yeah. So when did things go from, again, you didn't, obviously you didn't slow down, but when did it go from, hey, I'm feeling good, I'm feeling confident, this is enjoyable, as it should be in the, for, for the vast majority of a marathon, you know, if you're doing marathon pace, when did it go from that to, okay, I need to figure out a way to keep this pace while I'm starting to get very uncomfortable? Right. You know, I, I was shocked. I I couldn't believe how, how my leg held up in the race, um, how my body felt. It felt so comfortable. It felt relaxed. It felt strong. So I was just really excited, but trying to contain my excitement. (laughs) Um, I got to 20 feeling like, oh my gosh, I feel good. Like, I think I can start pressing now. Um, but I didn't, I was like, nope, Kurt said 22. That's when you can start to press. So I got to 22, felt really good. And then I actually started to, I got pretty nauseous around at 23. Uh, Just that awful feeling like, yeah, I'm definitely going to throw up at some point. (laughs) Sorry, kind of gross. But um, I think I just don't really have much experience with taking in fluids and goos and all that um, at that time. No, you don't don't take a lot of goos during your 5K? (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Even on training runs, it's like I didn't really practice it during those hard workouts. So, <laughs> yeah. So my body was rejecting water, fluids, everything at that point. It was like, no, no more. Um, and yeah, I really, I think I, I ended up backing off the pace a little bit just because of the nausea. It wasn't so much my body was like getting fatigued. I mean, I'm sure it was tired, but it was more like, oh my gosh, I'm going to throw up. And I got to 25, threw up three times. And oh. then I felt amazing after that. <laughs> After that, it was like, okay, let's go. And I was trying to do quick mental math, like, oh my gosh, I may or may not make it at this point. Like, I was just trying, you know, trying to think, but I couldn't really think. So I was like, I'm just going to run as hard as I possibly can over this last mile because I'm not really sure, like, if this happens again, like, I don't know if I'm going to do it. So it was kind of a panicked, you know, I felt so smooth for 22 miles. And then, like, the panic set in the last like mile or so, just like, oh my gosh. I'm, I've made it this far and I may not make it. <laughs> so. All right. So let's talk about the logistics. Let's talk about the logistics yeah. of the puking. So you puked three times yeah. <laughs> within the last yeah. mile or so. So were these like, were these puke on the runs? Were they, you know, pulled to the side? Like walk us, walk us through one, two, and three here. <laughs> so it pretty much just stopped me dead in my tracks. Like it wasn't one of those like, hey, I can keep running. Like my teammate Aaron said he projectiled vomited while he was able to run this like stopped me completely I couldn't move at all my body just like contracted threw up and then I was like okay keep going and then I had to do it again and then I had to do it again and the third time these women all these women are going by me and they're like come on you can do it you're okay and I was like okay and I remember asking one girl like how much further do we have because like this is ridiculous <laughs> like I don't want to do this again um like throw up. And she was like, you, you have a half mile to go. And I was like, okay. So I just like latched onto them and tried to just hang on and <laughs> get to the finish line. Um, but like I said, I felt so much better after. So I was like, man, I wish this happened three miles earlier. <laughs> so I didn't have to struggle for those three miles. So you've had a lot of wonderful finish line moments where right? we just talked about one at the Penn Relays. Again, you have you know competed for a long time. You've run a lot of races. You're somebody who's been at the near at the top of their sport in, you know, at, at shorter distances. Right. A lot of the people that you're running with have, maybe have come from the other way. Right. They maybe got running, got into running later in life. And OTQ was one of those like impossible dream scenarios and here they are they finally got here so again you come you came from it from a very different perspective not less emotional necessarily especially what you've dealt with this entire year but from a different perspective so what was that finish line feeling like for you once you did cross in 244 16 oh man a sense of relief and just so excited because the the first people I saw were the two women I had run with. One was Angela and then another woman that we shared a lot of miles with. And they were right there to give me a hug. And it was just like incredible. I was so happy for them and so relieved that it happened. Um, I was just so thankful that my body held up. I honestly was in shock. I couldn't believe that my leg didn't give out because like in training runs, I could barely get through sometimes like 10 miles. Like my leg would just give out. So I just couldn't believe that it came together. You know, the stars aligned for 26.2 to happen on that day. And and then my next thought was, oh, my gosh, did Aaron and Henry make it? And they both ran 218. Um, so they both qualified. So the three of us making it together was just incredibly special. Um, uh, it was it was oh, such a great day. Oh, man. <laughs> It's still sinking in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you guys need to put like a plaque outside that apartment, like memorializing yeah. <laughs> that 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 achievement. You know, like the last three the last three residents here qualified for the Olympic trials. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just so special. It was all of our debuts as well. So the fact that like three for three with the debut was just it was so cool. It was funny. I had talked to Aaron um I think, you know, maybe a month before the race and he's such like a, he's such a soft-spoken guy and yeah. i'm like i know he's really good because he's part of new england distance and all that stuff but i was like I, I can't tell if he's not confident or like he's just trying not to or he's really confident but doesn't want to show it because he was like so soft-spoken about it he's like yeah i'm running i am running cim i hope it goes well and i'm like oh it's either <laughs> gonna go exactly really it. well or like or who knows <laughs> yeah 
they worked so hard and they worked so well together. So I'm just so happy it came together. And Aaron's another person who really struggled with injuries. And even earlier this year, like it was not coming together for him. So he he's another one who went through the ringer with injuries and was finally able to get his body to respond to treatment and training. So the fact that it came together for him too was just really awesome. I mean, what an amazing achievement for you. What a way to bounce back from those injuries, to literally double down and be like, okay, okay, body, if if 5K (laughs) is too much, 5K is too much for you to handle, how's 26.2 miles going to feel? But it worked out and it's it's amazing. And and with that being said, you know, considering everything that's, you know, that your body has gone through in 2019, um, what is your plan moving forward, short term and long term? Like, are you now that you're here, are you are you planning on running the trials or is it something that you're going to focus more on the cross on cross country? Yeah, no, I'm all in for the trials. 2020 vision is what, what we've been saying. You know, I'm I am so thrilled to have qualified and now it's just about recovering and, you know, staying healthy and then rebuilding up for the trials. And my goal for there is to try and improve on, you know, my time, um, try and compete a little bit more. Um, I really, really enjoyed the marathon. It was a lot of fun and um, I feel like, you know, just getting started with the distance. So I'm excited to kind of grow with that and, take on this new challenge. Um, but cross country is always in my heart. So, you know, I, I don't think I'll make it to us cross this year. Um, but that's definitely in my future for sure. Um, but I'm excited to kind of test out these longer distances and see, you know, see what they're all about. So how was your feeling this past weekend, seeing the results come in from club cross in Pennsylvania, which is your stomping grounds. (laughs) I know. <laughs> I was definitely a little bit sad. I had some FOMO going on. I was didn't want to miss out on the action, especially because it was so muddy. Sometimes like the worse the conditions, the better I do. <laughs> so I was like, oh man, this would have been perfect. Um, but it was so cool. And Ashling ran so well. She's another New Englander. So she just, oh, so happy for her. Um, and Kat Roca, the Ocean State girl. So it, it was so cool to look at the results and see how everyone did. It's such a great course. That's probably one of my favorite courses because Paul Short's there and I've run Club Cross there before. So it's just a really great event for sure. All right. That's great. All right. So let's talk about lead up to the Olympic trials. Um, so what what does recovery look like and what does build up look like? And what, if any, um, races do you have on the calendar leading into Atlanta? Yeah. So recovery has been... Um, you know, pretty much like active recovery. Although the week, you know, this past week I was spent it moving out of Rhode Island. So that's been a lot <laughs> that take up, you know, took up a lot of days of uh, a lot of moving and packing and driving and airplane and all that. So now that we're settled here in Arizona, I'm just trying to get back into a little bit of a routine, you know, try and run every other day, slowly, you know, add up the days of running and the mileage. We'll officially start the buildup on January 1st. Um, so, you know, I'm looking at it as no matter what, I'm going to have more weeks of a buildup than I did going into CIM. <laughs> so anything extra is great. Um, but, you know, I think we found the mileage range that works for me, probably stick around 90 to 95. Um, and I don't think we need to change a whole lot. You know, it worked well for me. So I just want to kind of keep getting strong, work at that marathon pace, get in those long runs. Um, in terms of races, I haven't quite talked to Kurt about that yet. Um, I'm sure we'll come up with a plan to figure that out, maybe get in some half marathons or something around here, just as, you know, a practice run, um, see see how the fitness is progressing. So I think, yeah, it's just kind of buckling down and getting back into that focus grind of, of training. So why did you end up choosing Phoenix to move no to 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 to, to be your your stopping grounds now and with that being said are there certain folks in and around that area that will kind of serve as your new either um you know real or kind of you know you know de facto team that you'll be running with right yeah so when we were here last winter in Phoenix um like i said this is where Kurt and Molly are based so um you know, we, we really just wanted to be closer to Kurt so that he can come to our workouts and, and just be nearby. So 
you know, it's great that we have Kurt and Molly here and then Emily and Shane, uh, Emily Sisson and Shane Quinn. Um, my teammate, Albsay. I know all y'all are moving out, out of Rhode Island. I'm not I a fan know. of it. I'm not a fan of it at all. I love <laughs> those days where I could see you all running on the Providence College track. Aww. I know. Yeah, it was it was not an easy decision, but, it, you know, sometimes change is what you need. And I was ready to, you know, try something new and try a new environment. I I really enjoy training here in Arizona and I like having access to altitude. I just didn't think I would do well at altitude year round. So that's why we decided to be based in Phoenix and then go up to altitude for a month at a time kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, we have a nice little training crew of people that we know from New England and then other girls that I've raced, um, like Jess Tan. And uh, so it's it's a, a great community here for sure. You kind of always run into people out there on the canal paths. So, um, yeah. And then Jess Tan, there was that great picture earlier in the year where you ran, um, where you finished 14th in the cross country race, where it's you and Jess kind of neck and neck. Uh, in that in that race, which is like one of those those great pictures that I've always remembered from the beginning of the year, and you know, like you said, like it's just it's such a great spot out there. I know Phoenix has her own half in January. It's funny I've yeah, had yeah. I've had a couple people mention like I don't want to go to Houston because I don't want to like be kind of in that the limelight of of the, you know shoot like ninety percent of the elite field will be at Houston. I know Molly will be there as well. Yeah, and I've had I've had several people be like, oh, I'm gonna lay low. I'm gonna run Phoenix. And it's funny, I think I've heard like 20 people say that. So I'm like, it's not going to be, <laughs> so you're not going to be laying yeah. low too much because yeah. there's going to be yeah. quite a crew there as well. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Phoenix half is, I always watch it whenever I'm out here. It's always a good race. Henry ran it last year. So yeah, it definitely becomes competitive for sure. I think, yeah, a couple people decide, hey, I'm not going to do Houston. And then before you know it, Phoenix is more competitive than they thought. <laughs> so Exactly. Yeah. Katrina. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate the conversation. It's been great get to know you over the past few months here in Rhode Island. And best of luck with your lead up to Atlanta. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm really appreciative of you. Thank you. Katie, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. What a great story. My goodness. This was just seeing this in person, just the the basically the tumult that she has gone through made seeing the result so much more sweet. I mean, just what what a remarkable story. And hey, all these CIM OTQers, the whole thing, the whole race was just, just so motivating and inspirational. And this is going to be the last time we talked to the people um, who OTQed at CIM, but I loved this part of the series, talking to all these folks who did amazing things. Thank you so much for listening, rating, reviewing, and sharing the show. It means so much to me. It warms my heart. Happy running and have a great day. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti, from InPost Media. Also, thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution. Never